phone, you can sign up to volunteer. But if you could also go on your phone and delete your Zillow and your Redfin apps, um, <laughs> at least for the next four or five years until I jump on. No, just kidding. But um, yeah, so um, if any else of you are thinking about leaving, um, come and see me. Um, I do have um, opportunity to find handcuffs and chains to uh, keep you from going. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, that's the reality that we live in, especially in this Bay Area, which is transient, and if we are committed to living scent. Um, so here's a reality. Bruce and Rita's house is going to sell, sell. Most likely, it's somebody coming from out of the area. We know that people moving from out of the area are unchurched and do not know Jesus predominantly. And so again, it's just more opportunity for us to love where we live and live scent. So um, just the realities of the Bay Area, right? So with that, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into uh, this next installment of Follow Me. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Again, we stop and just think of the women up on the um, Santa Cruz Mountains and the retreat and what you're doing there. The same power that's at work there, God is at work here. And so we thank you for that. We pray that you would open our hearts to your word and to your challenge. And Holy Spirit, move us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, if you were here, if you had a chance to watch online, we started this three-week series of Follow Me. And so last week was the invitation that Jesus gave that we'll look at here to follow me. And this week is, uh, I will make you. So last week was the invitation. This week, we're looking at the formation of what Jesus does with his disciples. And and I thought about that. There's many scriptures that talk about the potter and the clay, that um, Jesus or God is the the potter. He's the one that makes um, everything. He's the one that takes the clay in his hands and decides what he's going to make, if it's going to be for noble purposes or ignoble purposes. But the clay, as disciples does not have the say of what the potter will make. The clay says, here I am, mold me. Here I am, shape me. Here I am. And in the hands of God, the potter, the creator, he decides, he sees needs. He knows what the kingdom is lacking. And he continues to mold and shape disciples in the son's image for his glory and his purpose. But it is the clay that says, here I am, mold me in the hands of the master, the artist, the living God. And so um, this is as far as I'm going to go with this illustration because I'm not a master of, um, this will show you like my sixth grade level of, uh, of creation. Um, I'm an idea guy. I can see it in my head. Uh, so there you go. That's just the illustration. But the, the point is, and I was thinking about this, we have a saying in our culture that, um, that, um, Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. And I thought about that. And might imitation of Jesus be the sincerest and most humble form of glorifying the Son of God and honoring the Father? Sometimes we look to emulate or we look to, um, to imitate those people in our society that we want to be like for whatever reason. And per that saying, it's supposed to be a sense of flattery to the person who's being imitated. But in this sense, that same idea of imitating, 
Jesus? Would that be the most sincere and humble way of glorifying him? The more and more we act like, that we represent, that we look like Jesus, that that would glorify God, which really is our purpose. And so we begin this second week of this sermon series, starting in the Matthew 4 verse that we've been anchoring this in. And from that time, it says in verse 17 of chapter 4, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This was the central message that Jesus preached wherever he went. And so this idea that he would preach, repent, repent, repent. And we talked about this last week, but to repent means to change the way that you think, to reorient the way that you think, to make an abrupt change from the one direction you're going in and to change and go in the opposite direction. Jesus is saying, repent, change, because the kingdom message needs kingdom citizens. And the kingdom at that point was not, had yet not come and needed people to repent and to change your way of thinking and follow the rabbi to follow Jesus, Messiah. And so that question for us today is, am I a follower and disciple, and am I growing in my discipleship and my apprenticeship? Am I changing? Am I allowing God to make change in me such that I can follow him for his glory and his honor and his purpose? And that idea of, of follow me also a sense of surrender, in the hands of the master, are we being that clay saying, I, I choose to follow you. I choose to submit myself to you, to surrender to you in your hands for you to make me. To make me what you are calling me to be, what you're designing me to be. Do we have that faith element that we truly let ourselves be in the hand of the creator of all good things and say, mold me? Form me, shape me. And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw those two brothers, Simon and Peter, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting nets into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me, the invitation, I will make you formation, the invitation to be formed in the image of the sun, fishers of men. Jesus promises, I believe in this call and this invitation that he will form, he will teach, he will train his kingdom followers in the areas that they need to be trained in. And having received Jesus' invitation, he promises, I believe, a lifelong formation, this idea of sanctification and growing in the likeness of the Son of God to mold us as disciples, to form us. The creator of all things will form us or reform us into the image of his Son. And so he sees these brothers and he offers this invitation to follow me, but also this invitation to be made, to be formed, to be reformed in an image they had no idea what that meant yet. Beyond 
this one inclusion that I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him with very little information. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed Jesus. Follow me. This invitation to apprenticeship, the process of being formed, and it's a process. It's a lifelong process that we as the clay remain in his hands, moldable and desiring him to make changes in us. The invitation to follow, but also the acceptance that you will change me And that can sometimes be a very difficult thing for us to remain in the hands of the creator. But it underscores a couple of things. As we say yes to the best of our ability and we begin this lifelong journey with him, it speaks to the fact that we have a belief and a faith that he is a master that's worthy of learning from. That he has true knowledge and ability and the power and authority to equip and to, and, to, and to mold us into the image he so desires. So that saying yes to the invitation is a pretty heavy commitment. To yes to follow you and yes that, that I believe as much as I can understand from the beginning of this journey who you are what you want to accomplish, your power, your authority, your honor that's due who you are. And we start off as an apprentice, as a student, as a freshman, beginning this lifelong journey. And he says this, I will make you. I will make you. And I have to wonder, did they, did they go back in their minds to the very beginning? To the understanding they had as Jewish children, to the very beginning that they were, that when God created man and woman, he created them in the image of God. That there is this creation story that they're aware of and that they know of. And as they hear this, do they understand or do they even imagine the recreation that the Son of God will do in and through their lives. The same God who spoke everything into existence and then knelt down with the original clay and fashioned the first man and breathed life into him. That same power that was at work in creation, they would learn over time, was at play with the Son of God. I will make you I will make you fishers of men. And so I thought about this idea of formation, this idea of I will make you. And so some things as I was thinking about this the last couple of weeks, these are just some of the things that, that kind of fell into place for me as I was thinking about what does this mean as I hear Jesus say, Tim, I will make you. That first and foremost, it anticipates core change. That repent, that change at the deepest level is where I think he wants to start from. 
to work in our hearts at the deepest level to make profound change in our lives, which can take all of our lives to accomplish. But it starts with that core change because we said, yes, I will follow you. And it's a process. Just like any other process, like I see, right? So Ken out there has a tile company. I'm sure that there's been many uh, uh, potential tile setters and people he's worked with as apprentices to teach them along the way. Some made good steps, others, which uh, cost a lot of tile to get you to understand how to do that. But nevertheless, the master was teaching the apprentice. And so this idea that it's a process, we're going to make mistakes But the idea is, do we grow through those mistakes? And when we falter, the chance for grace to be shown in our lives to continue to remain in the hands of the master. It's a process. And I was thinking about that. I I, I took piano lessons as a little kid, and they didn't last very long. Um, I don't know if that was because of my ability to play or not play the piano. Um, but I know that when we started, like, I, I wasn't interested in learning how to play, like, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and all these things like that. Like, I'm like, why aren't we on, like, week two? Why, where's the Elton John? Right? And this was the 70s. I'm like, where, where's some of, like, the cool music? I don't want to start with Twinkle, Twinkle. And so um, here we were. I was taking piano lessons, and my parents bought an organ, um, like, you know, old school organ. It wasn't even a B3 Hammond organ. It wasn't even cool, like... 70s rock music stuff, right? And so, like, I just remember one day just kind of pounding on that and breaking a couple of the keys because, well, that's how I saw Elton John play, and I was imitating, right? A master. And so, um, it was a process. Uh, that was right before the end of my piano lessons, but, but it reminded me, you, you sometimes have to start with the basics, and understand the basics and build on the basics and we grow in maturity and we grow in maturity. And I think the Bible is clear on that. It's good to understand maybe the long-term goal of where we want to go, but you got to start where you are and start walking. It's a process, which then underscores that next point that growth is expected. That as we sit with Jesus, the master, And we start at the very beginning and we understand some of these elementary things, these faith-building things. He builds on that. And he builds on that over time. So growth, maturity is expected amongst his disciples. Connection to the vine or the source is important. To remain connected to him, to abide in him, to live in him. Because he's the source for our growth. And then out of that growing and that vine illustration that comes out of John, then fruit. Fruit is expected in the life of his disciples. That's really what next week will be all about. That idea of fruitfulness. But to grow in a healthy manner so that we are healthy and productive and we can live out the fruit and the fruitful lifestyle that God anticipates for us. And then it's apprenticeship. It's hands-on. Like, I I know our teaching and our scholastic um, element is a lot more just the didactic, kind of like this, which is what we're trying to do in the second service. But if you're going to learn, it it requires you to try it. It, it, Yes, the classroom environment is important, but you also need the lab work. 
Because the lab work is where you get to put into practice the things that you're learning in the classroom. And for many of us, this can be the classroom and the lab work is living sent locally. No more of this moving and packing boxes stuff, right? But as, you, as we live sent, we take what we're learning here, equipping. That's been a core word of Cedars from the very get-go. As we are equipped as Jesus' followers, then we go and put it in practice, right? The lab work that takes place the rest of the week. And here as we gather. And it requires humility and a teachable spirit. To come back to the master and say, yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't get that one right, but I want a second shot, a third shot, a second hundred shot, a third hundred shot. Like, keep working in me. And he does. It's his desire to keep working in us. And so, as I was thinking about this idea of formation, these were just some of the key things you just kind of settled down into this list as I think about what does it mean for me as I follow Jesus that he will make me. And I trust him as his disciple. We looked at this slide last week. The definition, right, of being a, a learner, a student, our allegiance to, being an apprentice, a follower, that definition that we looked at, and now we're focusing on that middle section there, being changed by being changed by. I will make you. It's based on the truth that Jesus can and will change his disciples. And I think about that. I think as I go through the the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, anytime I have a question on discipleship and what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it look like to be a disciple? What does it mean to be in discipleship? Those four books I just go, just restart reading through. What did it look like? What did Jesus do? How did he do it? And it kind of shapes out into three areas. The first he said, let me, let me show you, disciples. And he, they went with him, following him around, and he modeled what he was doing. He modeled what he meant. He modeled what it looked like to be a disciple. And then in that second year, it's kind of like, hey, let's do this together. And they shared in the process. So again, they, they were in the classroom environment, out and about, and now they're in the lab work, co-working with him. And then that third week, he's like, hey, the third year, he's like, hey, just start to do a little bit more on your own until he commissions them at the end of Matthew. So this idea of modeling, sharing, and empowering as Jesus makes us, forms us, equips us as his disciples. Jesus had this to say, and I think about this as the blueprint of, of a disciple in Luke 6.40. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone, when they're fully trained or equipped, will be like their teacher. And this was Jesus' blueprint. You, you won't be above me. You won't be greater than me. But as I fully equipped you, you will look more and more and more like me. Not only did he say it on this occasion, that on the last night he was he, here, right, in the upper, upper room, he gets down and he washes his disciples' feet as an illustration of humble servanthood. 
And then he gets back up after, after that. And he says, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. For very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He's reminding his disciples, this is the blueprint. Look at me. Follow me. Watch me. Listen to me. What have I shown you? And as you're fully trained, as you are fully equipped, you look more and more and more like me. He says, that's the blueprint. They spent three years together in a relationship so profound that he was modeling day in and day out as they were together, when they were together, what it looked like, the conversations they had. And this idea of formation is built on relation. It's a relationship. It's a relationship between the master of all things, Jesus, and we who have said, here I am, send me. I'll follow you. I'm yours. I'm like the clay in your hands. And Jesus, Jesus works in our lives to accomplish his will. And then sometimes, you know, just like it was for my friend who made this um, podium for us, uh, it, it didn't have a design. He made a design. He started to build toward it and realized, oh, that's not going to work and had to either make radical changes or scrap the whole thing and keep building. But as a master woodworker, he knew how to accomplish the ideas that we, that we talked about on the phone. And I think sometimes in our life, it's the same thing as God's working in our life, as Jesus is working in our life, and there come to be rough edges. Sometimes that can be pretty painful for us. I think also for him. That maybe we hit a stub, stubborn streak, and he's just like, hey, wait, I, I thought you said you wanted to be, uh, to be clay in my, in my hands, Tim. What's going on? I'm like, yeah, but that, that edge, like, <laughs> really, we got to work on that? And he's like, well, <laughs> that doesn't look like me. All right, then go for it. But the blueprint. And Jesus was keen on on modeling. In in Matthew 4, right before the verses that we looked at, he, he went around preaching the kingdom, and then there was this call, and then after that, there's this phrase or this phrase like this that that pops up throughout the gospels. There's kind of is a is a kind of a cliff note version or like just the here here's the trailer for what's going on in in the life of of jesus and the disciples and he talks about what ministry looks like so this phrase in various ways is found all throughout the gospels says jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom healing every disease and sickness so he was ministering but he's also modeling This is what it looks like to follow me. If you're going to follow me, this is what we do. This is the Father's business. And so he modeled. He modeled the kingdom message. They heard it over and over and over again. And he modeled kingdom ministry. And they saw it. And they participated in it over and over and over again. So they would be trained. Fully trained to look like 
the master. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I believe Jesus was very keen, not just to model what the message was and what the ministry looked like and felt like, but he also modeled what the heart behind the message and the ministry looked like as well. Which is why the three weeks prior to the series, we were specifically focused on the love series. Because the motivation and the purpose of the kingdom is built on love. And so he says this here. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because he saw the condition that they lived in. Just like us in the Bay Area, as we drive around, we see people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Why? Because they haven't heard the good news of Jesus Christ. But he, he, he taught them. This is why I'm doing this ministry, because the people here are so clueless. They're so deceived. They're so following the wrong. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. He didn't judge them. He's like, oh, well, that's your fault for following that guy. Where did you expect him to take you? No, he had compassion. He was so moved in the bowels of his gut that he had to do something. That's what that word means. He had to. He could not do something. And so he did. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And again, in thinking about this opportunistically, (laughs) he, he spoke to them about the opportunity for the kingdom. The opportunity of the kingdom. The harvest is plentiful. Look at the opportunity of people that can hear the good news of Jesus. Opportunity is great. Numerically, the workers, we need more people in the kingdom, working for the kingdom, for the glory of the kingdom. And so he was saying, look, these people, they need shepherding. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Then he taught them to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He taught them how to pray. He taught them what to pray for. But he also underscored the reality that, oh, by the way, the person you're talking to and you're praying to is the owner of the field. And the owner of the field is asking that we live with our eyes wide open, with a heart that's open, that we see the opportunity around us and that we ask him to send more people to the field. And if you know what happens in the next chapter, that prayer becomes a self-fulfilled prophecy, if you will, because they become the answer to that prayer and he sends out the 12 two by two. That it goes from formation to participation. And that participation reiterates the formation that's taking place. See, this wasn't a surprise to Paul. As he looked at that in writing second letter to the church in Corinth, he reminded them that Christ's likeness for his followers was the plan all along. They were formed originally in the image of God and now being reformed 
as new creations. He would say in chapter five, you're a new creation. The old is gone and new has come. But before that, he says this in chapter three, and we all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory and being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord by the power of the spirit. And this was Jesus, this was God's plan all along for his kingdom people to resemble him all along. And so here is we're being recreated by the master. Paul says we're being transformed, transformed into his image over time as a process. He's working on it with ever increasing glory, the glory to him, the master. By the power of the Lord, who is the Spirit. The God at work in us through our, the Son, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This process of sanctification, being set apart and being made to look and to be in the image of Jesus Christ. And he works within us because he will make you. He says, I'll make you. I'll form you. And not only did did Paul write this message to the church in Corinth, he also said the same thing to the church in Rome, that this was God's plan from the very beginning, that for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This was the plan all along for God's people to be formed in the image of the Son. To be remade, brand new, and formed. And conformed to the image of the Son. Not conforming to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. As we repent and that change takes place. We're following the master. We're following the rabbi Jesus. You know, every once in a while, though, sometimes things can go awry. Things can, can go not the way he was planning. To this letter to the Galatians, he had spent significant time there. They loved him. They, they dealt with him in the midst of his illness, he, he says right before, he says, you, you were so concerned about me that, that if you could have given me your eyes, he knew the compassion and the love of the Galatians. But then some other people came in and started to, hey, you know, it, but it could look this way. You have this zeal, but what if, hey, look at this. And they started to move in a different direction. And Paul writes to them, you know, zeal is good as long as you're zealous for the right thing. And somehow these Galatians became zealous for the wrong thing. And so Paul writes these words, my dear children, right? Compassion and love for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth. This is such hard work until Christ is formed in you. Because they decided to be formed by some other master who was not meant to be their master. 
that they, they were learning from, and they were following the kingdom principles, but somehow their vision, their heart, their zeal became misguided. And I thought about that, right? It's almost tax season. I guess it is tax season. And I was thinking about that. So there's a term called GAAP, G-A-A-P, Generally Accepted Accounting Principles. It's what we're all supposed to operate under with good accounting rules and, and, and good citizenship and paying our taxes and all these things that govern how we do proper accounting. But then, you know, there's this other side that's like, hey, have you heard of money laundering? You heard of tax evasion? Hey, if you're, we can counterfeit this money. You don't need to follow those principles. I have some new principles for you. Right? And it happens. Or, or whatever illustration you want to look at, when we're going in the right direction, and for whatever reason, we're tempted to get off track. And Paul says, my, my dear friends, my, my children... Until Christ is formed in you. He's like, do I have to speak so harshly with you? Uh, I'm going to come see you. (laughs) We're going to work on this. But he reiterates that the plan is Christ formed in us, that we look like that. And even when we are misguided in our zeal, to hear the corrective voice of those mature and above us that are encouraging us, most importantly, you listen to the voice of the Spirit to get us back on track and say, here I am. Continue molding me. Reshape me. Take out those impurities. Like, you know, when you play with Play-Doh so much, and especially when you're kids, and you, you set it down outside the container, and you go play in the dirt, and then you come back to the Play-Doh, and you, you start playing in it and start molding things. But, you know, of course, you didn't wash your hands, and so there's the dirt and the sand and the grass and all those you know, impurities that get in. And then they have to be, be taken out. It's the same way in our lives that, like, we come back, and we're like, okay, here I am. He's all right. Let's take out the sand. Let's take out these dirt and impurity. And we're going to continue molding you. Because grace abounds. We make mistakes. But we start with an I do. Much like when we get married. We have no idea what we're in for when we get married. We say I do and then we, we really do. Understand what I do. And that's the same thing here. You know, as disciples, as we'll look at commissioning next week, they started right after he left. And they started doing the things that they were taught. They started putting it into practice right from the very beginning. You know, and one day, Peter and John went to the temple as they always did to pray and to learn and to hear and to be taught. And there was this beggar that was there all the time. And he was crippled. And they didn't have any money, but said, we can help you. Like, pick up your mat and walk. And he came with them into the temple worshiping. And the leaders had an issue with that. And if you know the story, then they get arrested and they spend his time in jail. And they, they come back out and, and they're... they're, they're you know, kind of read the riot act and told them, don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Like, well, we can't, and we have to follow God, not you. And so they, 
the Sanhedrin, they discipline them and then let them go. But they say these words. The, the religious leaders at the time who were not followers. So when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, fishermen, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men who did what Jesus had done, an undeniable miracle that took place, this preaching of the same message that they had heard for the last three years. They saw. They saw that same courage, that faith that had been germinating within them over the last three years and growing such that they said, no, we're going to not stop doing this. We will continue to preach the kingdom and you can do what you want to do. And they took note. Wow. These guys are courageous. Hmm. But they, they'd been with Jesus. Huh. Kind of sounds like his message, kind of looks like his ministry. They look, they sound just like Jesus. We have the opportunity to be with Jesus in our prayer time, in the word, to listen to his voice, to be shaped by him, so that when we live sent, and the people around us who are looking at our witness, I pray that they would maybe say to their friend or their spouse or someone in their house, you know, Looks a lot like Jesus. God, I thank you. I thank you for the example that you give us through your word, what it looks like, what it looks like to follow you, what it looks like to be molded, to be formed by you. God, I thank you that you're, you're patient with us and you're not finished with us that we continue to grow in you day by day. But Lord, I, I pray for us as we continue with the spirit of humility to stay in your hands, to trust your hands and remain growing in you, being formed by you, molded day after day, moment by moment, by ever increasing glory for your purpose in your kingdom. God, I thank you that you're a good, good father. You're a master craftsman. And you have plans for us that I'm still trying to figure out if I even understand. But you're patient. You're patient not only not wanting people to perish, but you're patient with us in the process. You're such a good, good father. You're an excellent teacher. And God, I pray that you remain our one and only master. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.